I feel that you just have to pass the baton. It's a relay. And he passed it on. I don't have to tie my laces. I don't have to get dressed. He's done all that for me. I just have to run. He's given me everything. And he's just gone. Here you go. And I just started running. Hello and welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with me and Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe because I love hearing all your feedback, but more importantly, it gets to more ears and the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now and I hope you have a wonderful listen. In today's episode, I am speaking to Nuruddin or Nuda Kiari. Nuda's father, Abba Kiari, sadly passed away on the 17th of April due to COVID-19. At the time of his death, he was serving as the chief of staff to the president of Nigeria, Muhammadu Buhari. Nuda has started a thriving agricultural processing company in Nigeria that for now is centered around rice processing. Nuda and I have known one another for a fair few years. He having been one of the cool older boys at school (laughs) in the year above me. It was just incredible when Nuda expressed an interest of coming on to Daddy Issues after I interviewed another school friend of ours, Harry Bell. And the reason why it was so incredible to me was, of course, because his father had died so recently. So to talk about his grief on such a public platform as well as it being so raw and present was as surprising as it was of course incredibly moving. However, during my interview I very quickly realised with Nuda, as you're about to, why it was Nuda seemed so ready and willing to speak about his experience of grief and his father's death. Nuda has found a peace and even gratitude to his father's death which is inspirational and immensely heart opening and regardless of whether or not you are yourself grieving or you know somebody else grieving grief doesn't have to come into it just gaining and absorbing some of Nuda's perspective I think will leave you in good stead for the rest of 2020 and your life. (laughs) So thank you so much, Nudar. You're incredible. And I hope you all enjoy this beautiful hour of Nuruddin Kiari. I always used to try and get him to talk about his dad. Classic me. No, so I I would do, when I saw him, because I knew how he was, Mm. I would just lay out the friendship services. Mm -hmm. So quite early on, I was like, I'm just going to message you at random times. Don't reply. Mm. Because sometimes people don't even know what to respond so when true. they're grieving. So I'm just like, yo, like check. I'm basically checking it. 
remember at school, you have to like check in at night. I'd basically just like check it in and be like, reminder, one is here. So even if they don't want to talk, mm-hmm. that maybe that thought that, okay, my friend was there for me, someone is there for me, should I need to, can actually quite often provide relief. And I was doing all this not knowing that I was going to be on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, oh last my time God. I saw you, that's the last thing I did in England. So I was, I was actually in England, or yeah, between Paris and London. And then I delayed going back to Abuja in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And that came to Lord Bell's memorial. Yeah, on yeah. The 27th. Yes. That's when I saw you. I left it three days later. And then like 10 days later, my dad got sick. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad, isn't yeah. it? It's insane. It's, it's actually so weirdly moving yeah. to know that you were such a present supporter and friend of Harry's when yeah. his dad died. Yeah. And then it sort of so quickly. Role reversal. But how did you think you understood that? Because had, had you grieved before? Never in my life. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've never had is losing someone close to me. Yeah. But I've always had a fear of losing a friend. Really? Yeah. So I'd always, that would be at the forefront. And then bam, that happened. So not your know, parents? Not my parents. And so that was the first time ever that I'd been in that situation. So I had a friend that was super worried because he was like, this was your biggest worry. Like death was something you never encountered. Yeah. I've been around people that have lost people but i've just never had it how do you think you then knew how to be because that is the best way yeah. supposedly that yeah. you know everyone grieves in their own way yeah. but that is the that is supposedly a very yeah. good way for a friend to be supportive is to have someone say that you don't need to message me back yeah. i'm just going to message you every now and then and just let you how did you know that um it's weird i'm glad that it was a good thing but it might even come from a bad place because I'm really bad with my phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't like pressure when it comes to my phone. Yeah. Um, no, I think... Me yesterday going, nuda. No, 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 that was... You know, I did feel guilty when I, was, when I was, hadn't returned you what you had asked for on time. Unless it's urgent, I don't necessarily get back to someone immediately, mm. right? But when I do, I'm, it's all me. Like, I'm fully present when I do. Anyway, going back to your question. How did I know? I didn't know. But I just tried to, I believe there's duty of care to one another that outside of grief should just forever be there, right? You should just always be there for people when you can. You have to work on yourself, but when you can be there for people, you must exercise that duty of care. And in duty of care, it's not about you. If it's going to be about you, then I think it means you should draw back a bit and work on yourself, which is completely fine. Like you might just need, you can't help others if you're not okay. Mm. But should you step in and say, I'm going to care for someone, it's not about you yeah. at all. It's about that person and you must just dive in. So should I not get a reply? That's irrelevant to me. No one can bring my dad's back. No one can bring your dad, can't bring them back, right? But they can make sure you don't feel lonely, mm-hmm. which I presume is the scariest place to be. How I feel like I should care for people is just that, but probably like on steroids for grief. Yeah. And, but then there's also like, you don't want to hamper people, right? But that's why I kind of made that disclosure at the beginning. Just, no, I don't care if you don't reply. Yeah. If I see no reply three, four times, then I'm going to step it up because then there might be something wrong. But the odd time is really irrelevant. And for you now grieving, because your dad died on the 17th of April this year from COVID-19. You're so good. (laughs) You're so good. (laughs) Carry on. How have you experienced your friends with you in your 
very shocking, unexpected grief. Yeah. And what has been helpful for you? I am lucky in the friends that I have. I believe there's a certain type of friend that everyone should have one of. Mm. I'm privileged to have like six. I'm not kidding. Like they, I love that. my friends, are, my closest friends are pretty much like my brothers and my sisters. <clears throat> like genuinely believe that. And they, it was difficult because I was in Nigeria at the time. And I've only lived in Nigeria for coming up to two years now, right? So my kind of friendship or community infrastructure is not really there. Mm. And then obviously it happened in lockdown. So I was just stuck there the whole time and wasn't able to be around my friends. So I actually had like a delayed grief, not because I was blocking it, just because I, it wasn't the environment for me. For me, it almost feels like I'm crying around strangers. It's people I know, but they're just not really close to me. But from the long distance part, my friends were, I mean, as I said, they were just they were taking turns, just like, how are you? How are you? I also have a friend who did the same. Sent me, even before my dad actually passed away, just when my dad was in intensive care, mm. emailed me, have a look at this article, blah, blah. Don't reply to the email, by the way. Just kind of like the disclosure, like, don't yeah. disclosure, disclaimer. Yeah. I said disclosure earlier. <laughs> I did that. Disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. Um, and he was like, just don't even bother replying to this email. And my friends, yeah, in general, they've, they're like, they've been incredible because they've just, again, they've been there for me. Mm. A couple have, I've seen they've struggled. They don't know how to, what to do. Mm. But I know the intention is there. Yeah. And they just, I wouldn't advise anyone to go down their route. It's just, I could see it. Mm-hmm. So I was, I didn't take it, necessarily take it personally. Yeah. But just they didn't know what to do. But again, for me, is the only way I probably would have felt away about someone is if you just, if I just don't hear from you. And I think with your closest friends, you can't go like more than a week. Yeah, agreed. Especially at the beginning. Yeah. Like for me, it's, what is it? April. May, June, July, August. It's been September. about four months. Yeah. It's five months and two days. Wow. Okay. So yes. it's been literally four and a bit. So at that very beginning stage, just don't let anyone feel like they're alone. And generally for me, my friends didn't really do that. And they'd set up like Zoom calls and yeah. be like, send me a link, but fully well knowing I might not turn up. Just knowing that alone is like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So it was, I have good friends. Yeah. Really good friends. I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much I want to ask. Yeah. Firstly, can Nida. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask a question. <laughs> I'll try not to take over your podcast. I won't take over your podcast. And can I drink coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can make, make little slurpy sounds. Yeah, and just like. <laughs> Nida, welcome yeah. to Daddy Issues. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Are you? Yeah. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like I'm in LA, like in a studio. <laughs> Because the, the window behind you is huge and I can see like across London. So Nuda and I, mm-hmm. or Nurudin, but I've always known you as Nuda. Yeah, there's like Obviously. four alter egos. But really? Yeah. Yeah, four. Talk yeah. me through that. I say four. Okay, there's Nurudin. That's my real name. There's Nuda, which I'm most widely known as. And I almost actually introduced myself as Nuda. But just because some kids couldn't pronounce Nurudin when we were eight. Nuda. In English public school. Exactly. And I was like... <laughs> But I took it, I like it. And then there's, there's Peng. Peng. Love that. But Nuda. <laughs> I'm going to call you Nuda Peng. Yeah. Yeah, well, number five. Whole new one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Nuda, that's what I even introduce myself as most of the time. It's an Arabic name. Mm. I'm a Muslim. And Nuruddin, Nuru means light, Deen means religion. 
I think, yeah. So it's like light of the religion. That's amazing. It is. I know we believe in the same God. It's not even like a theory. It's Christians it just, and Muslims do believe in the same God. The main difference that I see is that Christians believe Jesus is the son of God. Yeah. And Muslims don't believe God has like child. They just believe he had prophets and Jesus was one of them. But like Mary exists. Mary's Maryam. Yeah. So it is literally the same thing. We just digress on certain yes. things. But yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I believe it's, that it's the same God. Yeah. Allah is just Arabic for God. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a different name for a different God. It's actually just, so we, it's the same God that we believe in. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, we're like, Fighting, we've been fighting each other for millennia about Literally. yeah that yeah. anyway that's a whole I other believe. podcast a whole other podcast <laughs> and I'd love to come on that one please yes <laughs> we'll start that yeah okay, perfect I'd love to ask why you wanted to come on the podcast it could help maybe someone's lost their someone recently through COVID and are either dealing with it similar to me so if they hear me they could be like I'm not crazy Mm-hmm. or they could not have a clue what they're doing and listen and get something out. I don't know. Someone might get something out of it. For starters, I know I'm going to get something out of it because one, I'm speaking about it and two, I'm speaking to someone I know very well. Mm-hmm. And then secondary, I was like, someone might take something from it, then there's no harm. It's, ama- it's amazing that you're speaking about your grief already mm-hmm. and being willing to share in it. Why, how do you, where do you think that kind of strength has come from? I... I think I just give everything to God. Honestly, because I have I have a friend that asked me, "Did you think you were this strong?" She thinks I'm like really strong person, right? But mm. she's like, "Did you think you were this strong?" I was like, "I don't know if I can attribute it to strength, but clarity." So within the first couple of days after my dad's death, I had clarity that I just kind of sh- confused. To this day, sometimes at the weak points, I'm like. Is that clarity or is that like denial? Mm. Like that happens, it happened, but very rarely. And so I looked at it and I was like, God just kind of, I had to be, I had to have that clarity basically for the people around me and for myself. So from quite early on, I, I mean, I can give you the reasons as to why, what happened with that. I kind of, I saw my dad's whole life in the very like first two, three days. And I had zero regrets, just like none. And then we're all going to go. Mm-hmm. It's going to sound, it sounds brutal, but we are actually all going to go. Mm-hmm. And when you're not, when you haven't lost someone, put this when someone else loses someone, you tell them like, don't worry, like we're all going to go. It's just their time, blah, blah. And I feel, or from what I believe in Islam, you, if you're going to die at 1 p.m. today, you're going to die whether it's a car crash, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's whatever, whether you're just tricking on your food, at that 1 p.m., it's your time. Mm-hmm. So again, that was in the forefront of my thoughts. Like, it is time. It comes with faith. Because I, like, I'll give you the whole timeline of it. So I look at his career and everything he achieved, mm-hmm. and he achieved any and everything I think he wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I think he's achieved what the normal person or the average person has achieved like tenfold, right? And then he's given everything to his family. Like we literally have everything in terms of just whether it's material, non-material, tangible, non-tangible, he has given it. And then from a religious point of view, I, 
my biggest fear is going to hell. Right. <laughs> like, I do not want to go to hell. Like, I really don't. <laughs> Especially if I'm going to be there for like infinity. Yeah. I don't want that. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gearing myself limbo up. Limbo is the worst one, isn't it? But yeah, we live in limbo. Like, what? This is limbo? No, in the sense that in, in, oh, up yeah. there, like, I don't know where I'm going to go. As much as I think I'm a good person, I'm not the examiner. You can go to exam. You revise all you want, but you're still nervous where you get your results, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to go to hell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so all right, this, again, this life is great and we do everything we can to like give and experience stuff. But the end, ultimate goal is to make it to heaven. So I think my dad passing away, I could have been like, okay, yes, I know my dad was a good person, but I didn't know everything about his life, right? Mm. So I'd always... I'd probably be freaking out, like, where's he going to go? Like, I'd be, I'd be feeling sorry for him if I imagined him to be kind of suffering. Yeah. But luckily, due to pre-existing beliefs, like, in Islam, so if you pass away on a Friday, and during, like, a pandemic, it's insane, through, like, the disease in the land, as I said. Right. It's like a martyrdom. Really? So it's like, you're going straight. It's like, you're pretty much guaranteed heaven, right? Wow. So... Again, so for me, for that to happen, and he passed away like at 11 p.m. on a Friday. So for that to happen, combined with my beliefs, it's almost like, well, I don't even have to think about that. Yeah. I don't have to worry about what's going on with him afterwards. Yeah. So whenever I do picture him in wherever he is, you know, after it's like, there's no anxiety or there's no picture of suffering. That is, that's someone that literally has a bloody cheat code, in my, in my opinion. You've got both, like you got the Friday yeah. and you got, Excuse me, and you got the you died from a disease in the land. That's wow. like a thing that if you, a, yeah really a, yeah, there's a few things like that. I think there's like dying in a flood and a fire, like sorry, drowning, but dying in a fire. All that. It's like they all mean something. They all mean something. And wow. So yeah, so it's just nice to have that. So again, I had that piece from early on. Yeah. And I yeah, it was helpful. So. Take me back to where you yeah. grew up and okay. where you were born and your family dynamic. Okay, family dynamic. My I was born in Nigeria, 9th of June, 1990. Shit, does that mean everyone knows my age? <laughs> He's old. <laughs> I'm old. But you know what's funny? I can't wait to grey, like slight grey. I um, actually just said to Nuda how young he looks. He looks the same from like at school. Yeah, which haircut. is good. But yeah. <laughs> Got a haircut yesterday, guys. <laughs> Even though the podcast is not recorded. Um, yeah. We'll yeah. have a pick. We'll have a pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was born in Nigeria in a town, city, city called Kaduna, that I'm not a fan of at all because nothing happens there. Right. And grew up in Lagos because my parents moved down there because my dad was working. And actually, no, this really bad at me. I was born in Kaduna because my dad was editor of a newspaper there. And then he moved into the banking sector. So he moved to Lagos. When I was like zero years old. Right. And I went to school there till I was eight. And it was day school. Me, my younger brother, were in the same school. He's a year younger than me. And then in 1999, I went to boarding school mm. in England at the age of nine. Boo. Yeah, that is. Eight, nine, yeah. Yeah. That was in Dorset. And how did, do you remember, I was going to ask you about this actually, because yeah. I went when I was 10, but yeah. like my mum was in the same country as me. Yeah. So how did that feel for you? It was, my dad's a weirdo. <laughs> he was just like, he was like, <laughs> come, you're going to do exams. Went to do exams. Didn't know what was going on. Well, he got into school. And he was like, well, it starts 
in a month's time. So we just everything just kind of happened so quickly. Yeah. And I remember getting there and so I went to Port Regis. My little brother went there. Really? Yeah. Alumni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, so we I went there the same day as my brother, which was about eight or nine, and I just I have the fondest memories yeah. of it. Although my mom does say apparently three days in I called crying my eyes out. Oh. Like properly crying my eyes out and but I can't remember that. Baby noodle. Literally just crying. <laughs> yeah, that's Literally, really sad. <laughs> yeah, just like really sad. <laughs> and but she said after the first week that didn't happen again. Mm. So I think it was a really just that new experience mm-hmm. was incredible. And meeting new people, different environment. And that was and I'd been to England quite a few times up until the age of eight, but it was very much holidays. We'd come we'd go to a house in London, half term school, holidays, yeah. and then go back to Nigeria for school. <clears throat> Do you think leaving so young created a distance between you and your parents? Or how did that, your relationship with your parents sort of stay? Stay. Or maybe sh- how was it shaped from, yeah. from being away from them? I think it was definitely, a f- I, I can't say it was affected negatively. But I just know that if I wasn't away from them for such a young age, it probably would have come out different, right? But for example, with my mum. There's something that's crazy. I again, so I'd never really lived in Nigeria between 1998 to 2018. Mm-hmm. I'd max go there for three three holidays, but I speak a language called Hausa in Nigeria, mm-hmm. which I picked up obviously as a child. But then I still speak it to this day. But I never lived in Nigeria for all those years, mm-hmm. so I think that's a testament to my relationship with my mom because mm-hmm. she's the only person I speak Hausa to mm-hmm. throughout the year. And apart from when I went back over summer for like a month to see extended family members. Mm-hmm. So she must have kept us really close for us to hold on to that language. Yeah. Which is, and I remember she kind of always trying to instill that in us. Because I remember one time I didn't call her for like two weeks. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like 11. Yeah. You don't have a mobile phone. You'd have to go to the common room to use the phone. And went back for half time. My mom ignored me. <laughs> Did she? <laughs> yeah. But she'd always like, because her thing was like, family comes first. Mm. So make sure you just keep in, keep in touch and keep in contact. So... It's weird. I didn't really think it affected my relationship with my mum. With my dad, purely because of how busy he was. Yeah. It was slightly different. But then my dad's approach was just academia, academia, academia. Yeah, I mean, he went to like 50 universities. Exactly. Academia, academia, academia. So he would, again, wouldn't see every day, but he'd call every single day. And if he didn't call you, he was calling your housemaster. He'd call you every day? Yeah. Wow. Even up until he's passed away, we spoke every single day did you yeah. um, so when we when we were at school together he, you called, every, you spoke to your dad every day every there was a time where i was rebelling so like i'll dodge phone calls but <laughs> generally like he would reach out every single day that's incredible right up until when he passed away he and i want to say that phone calls might have averaged two minutes and he's just saying hey hey how's your work going hey how are you how's it going good you don't need anything no you sure yeah and okay cool if there's anything Wow. Every single day. This is, it was, it's insane. Why do you think he did that? He's overly protective of anything in his like immediate circle. And yeah, that's just how he was. And what's it like having to adjust to like not having that? Um, that actually led to my first proper breakdown. When I say breakdown, 
I'm going to use breakdown a lot, but what I mean is like shutting down and crying like intensely for like five minutes or 10 minutes. That's what I classify as a breakdown. And I, yeah, so I spent probably the first three months after his death in Nigeria because of lockdown. Or again, making sure everyone's settled, ETC, ETC. And then I find when everyone was settled, I left, went to Paris, landed at 6 a.m. But again, no matter what time your flight is, he'd call. So I'm used to getting on early morning flights or late flights and he'd call me because he know he would just know everything, right? If he knows what time your flight is, he can call you three hours before trying to find out if you've left for the airport. So I was used to that, to either messaging him yeah. when you got really busy just saying, I'm just boarded and you'd be like, okay, cool. Or he'd call and then as soon as you land, he'll call again. Have you landed? Wow. So that was my first experience of that absence. And then that just festered throughout my journey and I landed in Paris and then it kind of just pushed me over the edge. So it that was weird having that. And you do reach for your phone a lot. Like I've subconsciously reached my phone on maybe 15 occasions. Either about, excuse me, either about to call him because I'm like, shit, I haven't heard from him. Yeah. Or just be like, shit, he might have reached out. Yeah. That's the intensity of which he like kept his presence around. So going back to your question, I guess he, going to school, boarding school at such a young age, created that distance, but then the presence was just always there. If you don't mind, yeah. can we go just straight to that moment where you found out your dad had COVID-19 yeah. and then take it from there? Yeah, it's, there's a really, f- well, I don't know if it's funny, but ironic. <laughs> no, funny is always good. Dark humour is invited on this podcast. My older sister, she's, her dark humour is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> is it? Yeah. It's Have insane. you seen it come flourishing during Fl- this time? Flourishing out. Yeah, so I remember, as I said, I saw you end of February. And then 2nd of March, I flew to Nigeria. And then I flew to Abuja. And I had to go for a meeting in Lagos. And I went to Lagos around the 7th mm-hmm. of March. And I was coming back. And COVID was kind of in the, in the space. It was actually it was so much in the space that I, like, I was already wearing a mask and all that. I remember sending a Snapchat picture to one, two of my friends. And it was a selfie of me being like, imagine if I get COVID and then go and give it to my dad. And then my dad gives it to the president. And then I get hanged for treason. <laughs> like, I remember like sending that to them on the flight. And I don't know. <laughs> literally, I was like, I'm going to get hung for treason. Like, I'm going to go see my dad, give it to him. And he's going to go give it to number one. And I land on the, and that's like on a Friday. <laughs> Just to like, even though I would have said this yeah. obviously earlier, but your dad was chief of staff yeah. to the president, the president of Nigeria, yeah, for the past five and a half years. Yes, and um, yeah, so I, I remember making that joke, and I got back on the Friday, saw my dad. He was alright. Saturday, and I think the thirteenth was a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Can't remember. Can't remember. And I was hanging out with him, and <clears throat> I was really, when I say hanging out, like I was sat very close to him like like our arms were touching because mm-hmm. he wanted me to increase his gmail storage right but he wanted me to use my bank card right to do it right for <laughs> if there's time i'll explain why going down the line but i shall just do it now he just followed the rules mm-hmm. and as a public servant you can't have you can't operate foreign accounts mm-hmm. because his whole life he wasn't a public servant 
he had pre-existing ones, mm-hmm. which most people don't really give a shit. They kind of just carry on operating, but he just was so by the book mm. that he was like, fine, I'm just going to freeze the account so that 2015 to, to like get out of office, you will see there's no in and there's no out. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of these things, he asked me if I would do it for him. So he was like, can you just use your card to increase my storage? So I did that. Was manhandling his phone, giving it back to him, and he's kind of like sniffing. Yeah. And I remember being like, like, stay away with your flu, mate. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> literally, I remember being like, oh, like, I was actually, I remember using hand sanitizer because I get like a flu every quarter, just out of like exhaustion, right? <laughs> yeah. And I just sleep for two days and then it gets better. So I was like, don't give me that. <laughs> so I fi- fixed everything for him. And then it's one of his really close friends came that I get on really well with as well. So it was just us three. And then me and his friend were talking at the dining table when he was sitting down. And the true nature of my dad, he takes a phone call and then hangs up and then looks at us, me and his friend. He's like, yeah, I thought so. And we look at him like, what do you mean you thought so? What are you talking about? You just got off the phone and you blurted out, yeah, I thought so. And he's like, yeah, I was having symptoms, so I had a test and I've tested positive. And I was like, and then me and his friend, who's quite a bit younger than him, just looked at each other. Just literally just like an oh shit. Yeah. And again, through the nature of his job, you don't even see death as the end goal. You just kind of just like, you're like, oh, another thing that's going to flare up. Yeah. Like in the news, blah, blah. He was like, cool, you guys should go. Literally, just me and his friend, he's like, go. <laughs> but he was like, he's going to self-isolate. Go self-isolate. So I go home. And he had no symptoms. Just like a slight, very, very rare cough. Right. But I guess he probably felt something in his chest. So I was like, okay, that's all right. Like, he should be, should be okay. Then the cough got worse. At this point, he's in Abuja, right? And cough is getting a bit worse. Cough is getting worse. But he's, when I say he's a workaholic, I'm not, exactly, I'm not like exaggerating. All this man cared about was his work and just getting to do his work. So he'd still be working from home, getting files and memos sent to him so he could like treat them, da da da. But everyone was like, this disease needs rest. So just like take a break. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like, he can work. And then his friends and people around him were like, go to like, go to Lagos at least. Just in case. Because there's a doctor there that you know very well mm. that can treat these kind of things. So just be on standby because COVID deteriorates very fast. So I know, so he spent about 10, about a week still in Abuja. And then finally he got convinced to go to Lagos. So he flies to Lagos. And when, he's land, when he lands, he's meant to go into like a residence. But then the doctor comes to the airport. He's like, no, let's just go do checkups. And they go to the hospital. And it turns out a large, maybe over 50% of his lungs had already been taken over by COVID. Wow. But you just wouldn't see that in him. Because he just had, I think he had this thing where if my brain is working, I don't feel anything else. Okay. So he had no idea. Like, he had no idea. Or even if he felt that way, he just didn't really acknowledge it. And then at that point, they're like, you have to go into hospital. So when he now checks into hospital, as with COVID, it goes, it gets better and then gets worse. Yeah. But he's diabetic. Right. So he has the classic underlying condition. I think he'd FaceTime people or video call people, mm-hmm. which is so out of character. Right. I just remember thinking this is so off-brand. Like, <laughs> like it's so off-brand. Yeah, it's so off-brand for him. But he was so hell-bent on showing you he was okay. Because mm. he's the protector. He's the protector. Yeah. So he was literally FaceTiming, like, even people that... It's funny because my dad, me and my dad have never FaceTimed. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> that is funny. He would FaceTime. I remember 
Considering he calls you every day. Every day. And randomly he'll try and FaceTime every so often. And I'd either just completely ignore it and call him back on normal voice call. Or I remember one time I picked up and then covered my camera. And I could see him just staring at the phone, like trying to figure out what was going on. And then I hung up and called him back. I was like, oh, sorry, my camera's not working. <laughs> but it's all because I, I remember I didn't want him to get into a habit of just video calling me. Yeah. Because I might be in places I don't want him to know where I'm at. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he'd end up like video calling people just to be like, oh, look, I'm okay. Yeah. So he did that for a while. And he, funny, well, not funny story, I guess, nice story. And then just before he went to Lagos. He tried to FaceTime me and tried to FaceTime my older sister, Aisha, and we both missed it. But I went to Aisha, I was like, call him back. And I recorded it. Oh, did you? Yeah, so I've actually got a video of his last, like, pre-Lagos conversation. And he was so cheery, like, he was like, I guess she spoke to him, I spoke to him. And then he told us how he spoke to Ibrahim, he told us how he spoke to Zainab. Why did you record it? What came over you to think to record it? It's just like, I don't know. That's weird. It's so weird. But I had a lot of those kind of things that... I remember you said earlier how you had a guest who was... I guess you said it's a type of grief, knowing someone is going to die. So I had a lot of those pointers. Did you know he was going to die? I A large part of me did. And I'll tell you why in a bit. But yeah, so I recorded it. And even on the... Because at the time, obviously the country was like, oh, he's test positive. Where is he? Blah, blah. He's been taken to Cuba. And I, I remember asking him, I think my sister asked him on the call, he's like, how's Cuba? And he just started laughing. He was like, I wish I was in Cuba. He was like, but that's just Nigeria for you. For me, that was a summary of how he approached things and the thick skin. He's just like, that's just, that's Nigeria. What am I going to do? Like, it's not, there. it's not the country's fault. It's just like years of mismanagement that can even allow someone to believe he's been taken to Cuba. And then he just goes <clears throat> and coughs. And then moves his head out the camera and then just wraps up the conversation in like four seconds. Again, the protector, he just can't be seen to be coughing. Yes, like, to be vulnerable, to be, exactly, to be ex- not the one, to be, the strong to be one. Vul- exactly. Yeah. So he, yeah, so that was just before he went to Lagos. Then he went to Lagos and would speak again pretty much every day. The doctor was not giving as much information as you would like at the time. Yeah. But I think it was probably under instructions from my dad. Right. And then he ended up, he deteriorated quite badly, I think, and then had to go on the ventilator. I didn't necessarily know he'd gone on the ventilator because the coffee was getting quite bad, so he didn't really enjoy speaking, so we'd text. And I remember the last time we actually spoke was on the 2nd of April. And he died on the 17th. Mm. So he was responsive, responsive. And then 2nd of April, the message I sent him that morning was just one tick. And his phone just never came back on because he obviously turned it off to go under the ventilator. Yeah. And early morning, 2nd of April, I texted him. I was like, hey, daddy, how are you? Praying for you. And then I sent him two hearts, which I've never done. And that was the last message he ever saw from me. Because you see, it got delivered and he read it. And then the next message I've sent is just one tick because the phone just never came back on. So I have little stuff like that. And I'm just like, that's just so nice. Like recording the FaceTime, knowing that the last thing my dad saw from me was love. Love. And um, yeah, so the 2nd of April on the ventilator and then it was just, between that and the 17th, was just not speaking to him and just waiting for doctor's updates. Because mm. don't forget, he's in Lagos and we're in Abuja. Yeah. And because the nature of COVID, you can't go down and be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then even worse, due to the position he held, everything was even extra secretive. So in that two and a half weeks, 
because you're waiting for doctor stuff. Like I just, I actually went dark. I took off social media. I switched off my phone. People would just try and get hold of my mom or my sisters because some news will come out that he's dead. Mm. So maybe we actually thought he died three times in that because you just see fake news really jumping around. So that wasn't. So fake news would come out about your dad's death. Exactly, and then oh you have people God. calling to say sorry or try and find out. And it's just like, and obviously for that very first second, you don't know. And then yeah, so that period was quite rough. At the point he died, I hadn't spoken to him for two, just over two weeks. Anyway, which is ballistic in my life yeah, like mad. i don't think we've ever gone more than a day without speaking like if we just speak today we'll have to speak tomorrow and so that kind of was just like a slow landing i remember i was lying on my bed when a friend of my sister's was around and he knows someone that works with my dad and they they kind of knew when he passed away and i remember lying on my bed he was like it's bad i was like what do you mean it's bad he's like it's really bad He was like we've lost him and I just said a little prayer. I was like, I said, Alhamdulillah, which translates like, thank God. Really? And then, yeah. And then just got up and... So, yeah, that period was... Was, um... Was strange, but I was only optimistic at one point. I remember praying one day. And then after my prayer, being like, actually, I think he's going to make it back. That's the, but that only happened once. But throughout the whole time, I'll tell you why. Because in February, I kept having these dreams. Sometimes I can't remember the dream, but the only thing I think about in the morning is my dad's going to die soon. No way. I promise you. And I said that to a friend of mine. No way. Yeah. And I'm so happy I did because I, it would really annoy me that people would think I was lying. Yeah. So I have that friend and I'm always, at least it's like, I have that like point. So, and I just, I kept saying, I was like, I'm so rattled. I think my dad's going to die soon. So when he actually got ill and time had passed, I kind of just kind of like, okay. That's, this might be it. This might be it. And during, obviously, lockdown and him being in hospital on ventilator, not being able to reach him, a lot of my thoughts were actually centered around how am I going to carry on in his place for my family? So again, that was, I was just, it was just a lot of mental preparation. And how has that manifested for you so far? Luckily, I never thought of replacing him because it's just impossible mm. to replace him. How do I basically make sure his absence does not mean everything goes to shit? The times I've cried is when that's been heavy on my chest the most. Mm. Like, when I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I even had it Saturday, Friday and Saturday. It just overwhelmed me. I was like, I just think of my mom and I just think of my siblings. I'm like, I need to make sure they're okay. Not necessarily a neglect on myself, but that's just my priority, right? And I just need to make sure they're okay. And again, going back to what you said about friends, I have some of my close friends always reminding me, they're like, cool, do that, but do not neglect yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, just do not. No. And but I don't see it as neglect, I, even if it turns out being that way. But yeah, so it's overwhelming. And I am lucky, we're very lucky, my youngest, my sister Zainab, she's 24, right? So it's not like we're dealing with, I think it would be so much harder if she was like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Like, so, and we're all kind of in our own lanes now. And for now, I feel the most sorry for my mom because she married when she was 19, had my sister when she was 20, and they've been married for like 35 years. Yeah. Right. So you marry at a young age. So a lot of the things you've learned, good and bad, 
is with this guy. Mm. I keep saying this guy, my dad. <laughs> But it's like, Pops. yeah, yeah, Papa. Um, is that, and then even just like how every decision you make, you factor this person in. Especially it's a bit, because it's quite traditional. It's not our generation, right? So the rules are quite traditional. So you're caring a lot for your partner or for your husband. So every decision you make factors him into it. Like us, we're still, we're still about to build our lives, mm. right? But you've lived 35 years, created so many lives. You've built a life. You've built a life. Together. Exactly. And obviously, thank God she's 56, I think. Mm. They're still, she's still young. She's still young. Yeah. And but it's just up to up until now, basically, that's all you've known. Yeah. Whereas us as kids, we're like we know more. We know what like a wider variety of options we have, or where our life's gonna go. So I do feel sorry for her a lot, and I don't know how I'm best gonna deal with that. Mm-hmm. But as I said, all you can ever do is make sure you're there for someone, and that person never feels neglected. So I feel like if I can do that with my mom. Then, do you it. think that your dad's death yeah. and your grief yeah. has changed you? And if so, how? So far, I've seen slight changes in the way I think, but not necessarily my actions. Because I'm just going to go by what people have told me from the outside. They see that it hasn't really, doesn't really like I've been rattled. Right, so I can't really say it's changed me, but definitely in the way I think. For example, I've got this new thing now where I refuse to argue with anyone, apart from like five or six people who are actually my closest friends. Because mm-hmm. a lot of things I'm like, to what end? Yeah. To what end? I feel embarrassed with myself if I go to bed. I'm like, you and I have spent however long arguing about podcasts. I'm like, what are you trying to prove? Mm. But at least my closest friends, I know that it's just more of an educational thing because I always feel like no matter what happens, I'm going to learn from that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So since he passed away, I found myself just being like, just why, do, why, why are you trying to impose yourself on people? So I've drawn back on that, and then maybe this hasn't changed my personality, but I'm just going to spew out stuff that I've been thinking as a result of that. So he, I always saw him as my dad, as this older guy, and he died, and I was like, he's 67. And someone who's a lot of his friends, it's funny, a lot of his friends aren't actually his age. They're either way older or a bit younger. So they were shocked because he, they didn't think he was going to go before them. They're like late seventies. So I remember being like, "Wow, my dad was not actually old." So when I would see maybe on the news, just, "Oh, so and so died at the age of 80, I would automatically think. That's another like thirteen years I would have had on my dad. Who knows? Maybe he would have seen his grandkids. Mm. So that kind of pops in, and then what else? I <laughs> <laughs> I do picture people dying. Mm. Like it's that is I, I can't tell if it's dark or confusion for me to do that. But like I, we could be I could be sitting with you and. If I see you just like really smiling, I could just be like, "She's gonna go." Gosh, yeah. So it's bought. Death is a real thing. Death is you're living in it. You're living. You're seeing it. You're living I'm with it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally, I, and I have that very frequently. I can be like some of my close friends. Look at them, so happy. I'm like, "You're gonna go," mm-hmm. and it's so weird. 
That's really well, interesting. Yeah, I've, I still haven't quite figured that one out yet. Yeah. And no, but I have that with stuff. Yeah. Even so long later. Yeah. I get so worried about people that I love. What if something happens to them? Yeah. For me, it's always weirdly to do with like an accident, like yeah. it, which is what happened. Which is what happened, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. someone getting hit by a bus, that yeah. comes into my head. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, Aaron, I know what you mean. chill out. Yeah, just relax, but... Yeah. But when something like that happens to you and it's the shock, yeah. and you can't really... You can't rationalise it. No. It's just in you. Mm-hmm. And it's a process, I think, and everyone deals with their process differently. And... Yeah, it's a new perspective. It is a new perspective. Like, and it's, yeah, it's interesting. And fear on some level as well. So I think it's a, I think it's probably a way of dealing with fear. Mm. Because I never, I don't necessarily have it when I'm just staring at you. It's usually when I look at you and you're having the most fun. And I feel some sort of like huge endearment towards you. I'm like, damn, I love you. And then I'm like, but you're going to go. Yes. So that's, that's really bizarre. That's fascinating. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, so I. But that will be something you'll just you will have just articulated something that so many people inwardly like have experienced, but yeah. just haven't vocalized. Yeah, and it's quite a scary thing to kind of just admit. Mm. I go around seeing people die before they die. <laughs> you don't <laughs> when they're having the best time. <laughs> of yeah, I picture them just dying. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. So I can imagine maybe someone has thought it, but just doesn't now say it. But it's not. It's not really a reflection on yourself. It's just the reality of what mm. you're feeling and your thoughts. And it's a direct consequence of grief. Yes. And I, I can imagine people with anxiety probably have that because you just create scenarios, right? Mm. Because Completely. anxiety is a very real thing. And from my experience with people that have had it, it's creating these scenarios. Some have happened, some have not happened. Yes. So it's rather, it's rather weird. Your dad obviously was like a very successful, powerful man. Yeah. And in his death, do you feel a difference in, and I guess it goes back to how the son in the family and how you're going to protect everyone because he was the protector, how to sort of navigate that within your own life. Has there been like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth in any way, but with like work and all that kind of stuff. Have you felt like your drive change? Have you felt like your focus is changing? Or is that kind of secondary to what you're currently just coping with within this grief? I think it's primary. I, I don't have a choice. That's how I see it. You just I actually have to step in. And I don't have a choice. This definitely increased my drive 100%. Like, again, out of a lack of choice. And there's a friend of mine I always tell her, I'm like, I need to do a lot to make sure everyone's okay but then i i guess i can probably tie this into a previous question you asked me but there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege in what i'm going through like it's going to sound weird but you know how people say first world problems Mm. (laughs) yeah i'll say this anyway it's uh due to being privileged it's almost like i'm lucky to have a first world death right which is weird to say but what i mean is there's people who's head of the family whether it's whoever it is because in this day and age it could be the man it could be the woman mm-hmm, <laughs> and modern day millennials ex- exactly <laughs> um when that when they die life as you know it is gone mm-hmm. like it's a wrap 
whether then the mother has to or whoever it is has to move to relatives to in-laws just life crashes you have kids that eight haven't gone to school etc and i said this a lot to my mom my siblings to try because it's what helped me with the clarity early on we're so privileged that all we have the option of just grieving you're not worrying about rent you're not worrying about school fees like everyone is doing well he has literally given you the infrastructure to thrive so we can afford to just sit and grieve and for me that's an incredible privilege yes if i wanted to disappear for six months i could do that yeah to just go and grieve so i'm so grateful to have that opportunity and again this August was the clarity i had in the first few days because i said my dad i guess you explained at the beginning the intro of his career but he did everything academically to the very top went to the best institutions rose to the top of the private sector had actually a few years retirement where he'd spent time with his family watched them grow up and then came back and served his country at the highest level and stuck to his principles that mm. created him so much enemies when he was alive and for me those a lot of the stuff that those lot of smear campaigns against him just by the nature through nature of how he was right yeah and it got so bad that it mean that narrative may have never changed right mm. and i believe his death was the only way he would get justice for his reputation wow. because he refused to ever defend himself ever he never spoke once in the five and a half years he did not address the media or anyone like pers- through any allegations or whatever once wow and he'd block everyone around him from doing the same thing mm-hmm. cuz he just felt like that's not my priority. Yeah. But then in his death, it wasn't just local. I'm talking about big like the articles I'd sent you. Yes, Western 17 articles. Exactly, yeah. but a lot of them was like you have the economist, you have the financial times, and some of those titles were like the man that tried to change Nigeria, right? He would never got that acknowledgement if he was alive. Yeah. Because so people would be coming for him, right? So his death for me was his legacy having justice like everything he did was yeah it was justified so that for me because it means a lot for me i think death death is a very selfish thing mm. because we're missing that person but i was lucky enough at the beginning to say okay cool right now if you told me to bring my dad back i'd say no if you said you're going to bring my dad back, I'd say no. If you told me you're going to bring him back so I could hug him or say hi, whatever, 100%. But if you're going to tell me you're going to bring him back to live, I'd say no, because he achieved everything. He went, last five and a half years, he was at risk of having his reputation tarnished. His death brought the truth out. He's given us everything. Mm. If he was alive, we would just have more of his presence, but he might suffer more. And as I said earlier with the religious thing, he's got a good root. Yeah. So, for his life i don't want to speak for him but it was complete so why would i bring someone back for them to suffer do you know what i mean so i just have to accept that that chapter's closed and it's not about me it's about him yeah oh and i just have to deal with <laughs> i just have to deal with life going with life and just thank god consistently for having that privilege and as i said the pain and the grief of 
physical missing, maybe needing someone like a guardian. Sure, that's what sometimes leads me to cry. And other times I said it's just a confusion of like, shit, how am I going to hold everything down? When I look at his life, bringing him back will be unfair on him. That's how complete I think his life was for him and for everyone around him. So that is incredible. Yeah. He would be so proud of you for coming to that place. I'd hope so. Yeah. But it's funny. I, I realized that I was like, this grief thing is actually selfish. Because mm. you're crying that you're not here. But what were you doing for them? If you think about it. We actually want them back so they can continue serving us. Which there's nothing wrong with. But for me, it's very important to acknowledge that. And not be crying that... I'm literally crying because he's here, not here and I don't get what I want from him. I don't want to confuse that with anything else. Mm-hmm. That is literally what it is. This is about me and it's for me. And again, that is absolutely fine. But let's just acknowledge it for what it is. Especially if someone was going through stuff when they were here. And then the absence, like everything's just rounded up and sealed. And as I said, justice is served to his, everything he ever did. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny, isn't it, as well, that when people die, that's when they get celebrated. It's, it's insane. But with his, I got it. I get why. Because he just, well, that's a madman. <laughs> like, <laughs> his approach to just not, it was insane. Like, you have all the tools to prove things right, but he just felt that was a distraction to his work. I don't have that level of security. I would want to prove, but as I said, there's a big risk for him that the truth may never have come out. And I point to articles like, as I said, the Financial Times, the Economist, and if you look at what they wrote, it's out. That's that's what he'd care about. Because mm. no one's, there's no agenda there. It's just, who's the, who, they have no one to please by lying so it's just the truth do you think he and he'd be so happy because I was about to say do you think he'd be happy knowing yeah because every time I was about to get on a flight I if you search my conversation with him just type like economist or spectator I'd have to buy the economist spectator prospects the financial times private eye the lancet magazine I'd literally have to carry eight magazines why would would he want so many so he's obsessed with reading (laughs) obsessed I think he might have about 20,000 books wow yeah, so every time he'd get you to read those things. So a lot of those publications that he would sit there, I'll, I could show you, but like, sometimes I'll just randomly record him and he'll just be reading a book with a pencil, like making notes. Yeah. So the fact that those publications acknowledge him in such a light, he's, he'll be... He'll be happy. He'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> he's looking down and going, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, this is all in the plan. Exactly, yeah, he's going to be like, it's all in the plan. It's the only way I could get myself in there. Um, so, but yeah. I have two more questions to ask you. Yeah. The first one is, how do you feel about life right mm. now in yeah. this moment? I had a rough Friday and Saturday. I long for his presence in that way I described to you, just like quick hug, hi. Not in the presence to bring him back fully, but I long for that because of this rough period. But if you make the scope slightly bigger, I feel... You just have to pass the baton. It's a relay. And he passed it on. And 
I don't have to tie my laces. I don't have to get dressed. He's done all that for me. I just have to run. Like, I don't have to do any. He's given me everything. And he's just gone. Here you go. And I just started running. Oh, and I mean, I, sorry, I haven't started. <laughs> I should just run. So, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like he's handed over the baton and it's life. That's amazing. What yeah. a metaphor. <laughs> Very into that. Yeah. For me, that means everything. Yeah. Like, the running is everything in life. Yeah. And that's the most beautiful thing. He's passed the baton and the baton covers every part of life. Mm-hmm. But what comes out in your head is like, maybe the most important part of that run that you now need to make I need to read this to you one of his best friends who lives in England she's a British guy was who's distraught like I'm not sure he's um, recovered but he kind of summed it up and I've kept that in my mind since and the most important thing your question is what basically what's the one thing I have to keep when I'm keep running Hmm. and it's he said it was a privilege to know the most decent person I'll ever meet. And somehow, I think a part of him will always be with us whenever we choose the right thing. That's... I love that. Yeah. And the right thing you'll know about because you'll probably... I once once told that you know you've done the right thing yeah. when you're met with peace. Yeah. So even if it's something that you don't want to do, you know it's right because you're met with peace. Exactly. And I think additionally, it's more the right thing intends... In, in the sense of integrity and honesty because I could do the right thing but it turns out it's the wrong but at the point of your decision just make sure you're being transparent honest and with integrity if you go about making decisions if every decision you make takes those things into that account I think you'll be okay and so from him that's yes. something I've always known but I'm so happy his friend articulated that for me in a message mm to just try I guess the right thing could also be the righteous thing but I don't like righteous because it's a bit too condescending but I'll just say just be honest yeah in your decisions and be fair just be fair and that's the like driver behind that baton and that yeah. run yeah. yeah just be fair wherever I go try and be fair and exercise whatever powers I may have for the greater good without seeking any form of validation because that's a human thing, right? We would like to be cuddled, we would like to be, and something I'm working on, do those things without seeking any form of validation. Just do it. Because it's the right thing, not because you want Angharad to know, mm. but just because it's the right thing and you're being fair to Angharad. Mm. So yeah, I think that's what I'd. That's incredible. Yeah. And last question. Yeah. I don't understand. I know, nor me. <laughs> yeah. Someone told me to go to therapy. Maybe I'll just come back here every week. Yeah, exactly. We could do one just, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if your dad was listening to this episode right now, yeah. what do you want to say to him? Read your books, man. We're actually, we're good. We are okay. And we're going to be okay. So relax. It's your time to relax. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nude. Thank you. I can't believe this flew by so much. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Is there anything that you'd want to say that you haven't said? Whoever listens to this, one, thank you for listening because I mumble a lot. I don't know if you even heard me, but (laughs) thanks for getting this far. Um, Obviously, there's people that are going through grief. 
but I also want people that are not grieving and are dealing with people who are grieving mm. to just don't necessarily wait for signals. Like, I want everyone to basically start embracing this duty of care for as long as you're prepared and you've worked on yourself. Give yourself to people, right? Don't wait for signals. Don't put responsibilities back on the person that's going through, whether it's grief or not grief or just going through a tough time. Be there for people. Kind of commit yourself to your people and your loved ones because a lot of people don't have people to talk to. And I have had the privilege of having so much of that and I've seen the effects. So for anyone that this reaches, I want to say think about your duty of care to those around you and give yourself and your time and acknowledge you might have priorities but just when i say time it could literally be sending someone a heart yeah message like if you don't love people in your head because people are not in your head i love that yeah so show them and it's just smallest action blow them a kiss whatever and for as long as people don't feel like they're neglected I think we'll get somewhere in this relay race. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's I what I'd say. I love that so much. Yeah, I think that's what, that's what this has kind of taught me. Yeah. And I've always been an advocate for that kind of stuff. But as I said, my experience now is really just showing like, what else do you have apart from your relationships? Mm. Nothing. Like literally nothing. Literally nothing. That's what people care about when they're on their deathbed. Yeah. They look back in their life. They don't go, what did I achieve? They go, what were my relationships like? Exactly. And everyone is a human, um, I think, yeah. need on some level to feel not seen in the sense we were talking about earlier where you yeah. do something to be validated, yeah. but just seen by other people yeah. to be like acknowledged and important enough. Yeah. Um, it's such a sort of and it's such an easy thing to do so is to easy. let someone feel that way and it's not i think even there's some people that are not it doesn't even make you needy right no you can be the most independent person but if i give you a compliment it's gonna make you smart right yeah it's gonna make you feel good it's gonna make you feel good and it so will change have, the way you then go about your day to other people thank you so why if you can do that why wouldn't you is my thing that person doesn't need to ask for it. You don't just, you don't have to do those things to people that have asked for it or look sad. Mm. My thing is, if you can, then why not? And if you can't, fair. Yes. Yeah. That's just, that's your life and everyone has to be empathetic towards that. But if you feel like you can and you're not, we might not get on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we, we just probably wouldn't get on. <laughs> so, yeah, just, oh. that was... Amazing. Thank you, Nuda. Love you, young Harrod. And you're doing a fantastic job at this. And it's it's brave. It's very brave to actually start doing, let alone continue. And I really hope you're getting what you want out of this. Because a lot of people are getting stuff they even know they want out of this. So I hope you're getting what you want. Aww. And this is service you're providing in the truest form. So... Thank Keep you, going. Nita. That Keep means going. a lot. No, it's, it really is. So we're proud of you. Oh, <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> Love you too. The daddy issues. New da for prime minister. No. Uh. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my episode with Nuruddin Kiari. Oh my goodness me. <sighs> Words cannot really put how much wisdom was in that episode. I am actually flabbergasted. But um, thank you for listening and I hope that you got so much out of that because the nuggets of wisdom, there wasn't just one, there was about 50. There was actually about 50 thank you Nudar you're amazing we love you you're an inspiration and I really do want you to be um I do want you to be um Prime Minister of England thank you bye if you've been affected at all by anything that's come up in the episode, I advise two places where you can visit. The first is Julia Samuel's website, www.juliasamuel.co.uk. The other place is www.untangle.life, which is for people experiencing grief. I'd love to thank Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for doing all the mastering and compressing, and Julietta for providing Daddy Issues podcast season two music, which I am obsessed with. Lastly, I'd love to thank all of you for listening and also staying on this long to listen to the rest of the outro as without you of course there would be no podcast so thank you so much and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night